Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Farmer Sense Podcast. I am your host, Rick Willert, and co-hosting with me today is Andrew Foof. How are you today, Andrew? Good, Rick. How are you doing? I'm doing great. This is our first podcast. What do you think? I'm looking forward to it, excited and uh, cautiously nervous about it. Yeah, me too. It seems like it's live, but it's not. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. It, It's something new. It's something we thought we should get into because we like to talk about farming. We live so far apart that uh, we don't get to talk all the time. But when we do talk, it seems like it's never ending about farming. So, (laughs) yeah, we just kind of want to be those uh, everyday farmer guys that want to interview other experienced individuals or kind of learn ideas or shoot some ideas out there and get some comments and everybody can just kind of play along. Nothing real, nothing too crazy. Yep. I think we'll, we'll try to learn something from everybody. That's kind of what the goal is. When did we meet? We haven't known Mm -hmm. each other very long. We haven't. It's only been about a year and a half. Probably. We met at the strip till conference in Iowa city in 2022. That's right. Yes, we did. Um, That was a good time. That was a really good time. It was a good time. Had you been to a strip till conference before that one? Yes, I had been to one previously, maybe two. I have a horrible memory. (laughs) Trust me. But I went to one in Illinois because I remember making a short vacation out of it with my wife. And I went to the Iowa City one. It seems like I've been to three of them. There was two in Iowa and one in Illinois that I went to. So, okay, yeah, I enjoy them. I learn a lot every time. A lot of uh, hallway socializing. You know, not just the breakouts, but just talking to other farmers and getting to know what they do and, you know, different ideas. There's all sorts of way to strip till. I mean, you know that. Yep. I think that goes to show exactly that's true because the two of us met probably in the hallway, kind of. When yeah. We're talking to different strip till machine manufacturers. Yep, absolutely. Got, got to meet at a, a soil warrior event out there. Yeah, they took us to eat, didn't they? Yes, That's, they did. Great food. Yeah, it was. It was a good time. We got to meet your wife, Carla, and threw back a couple old fashions. That's when I found out you're an old-fashioned guy. <laughs> yeah, good times, for oh, sure. absolutely. I make the best old fashions. We'll have to get together and do this sometime instead of doing it over the computer. I think that's a great idea. You make the fancy old fashions, so I can't wait to have one here. So. I got a lot of di- – I got a new one. I'm trying a peach one, and then I'm doing a smoked apple. So, Ooh. yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. No, well, I'll just have to venture up there then. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> so speaking of Carla and your wife, do you have any other wives? No, no, <laughs> no other wives. I'm, I'm no joking. Wives. <laughs> no, but I do have two daughters and uh, they're 13 and 10, uh, Lily and Peyton. And uh, they both are interested in farming Love to be outside when we're doing stuff. Love to come riding the equipment. Or Lily has gotten to where she's run the auger wagon if we needed somebody. And um, even the combine a little bit. So, Really? How old is she? She's 13. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah so I've when you were up this way last summer. Yep. Well, I, get, I didn't get They were playing with the dog. They were playing with my, with my daughter, Ava. <laughs> yep. So I guess yep. I didn't see him too up close, but yeah, I didn't know she was that old. I thought she was younger than that. Yep. Now let's, let's talk about your family a little bit. My wife, Amy and our dog, yep. Ava, best dog ever. 
I would say, I think Ava's pretty high up on the list there. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, if you go to my Twitter account or Instagram or just look through my phone, it's very typical. It's pictures of the dog. And it's always like her sleeping or, you know, something. And, yeah, it's crazy. But we love her to death. She's a Australian Kelpie and a healer mix. So a very well-rounded farm dog, but good-sized, you know, uh, 45 pounds so she's she's still a lap dog to me she likes to sit on my lap when we're driving which can get a little much especially when I'm driving in town everybody looks at me like is the dog driving because <laughs> yeah she's like directly in front of me looking out but yeah no she's a she's a great dog love her to death awesome but, and I know the girls loved her to play with her when we were up there the, this last summer and yeah they they're dog lovers themselves so yeah, good. So you got brothers and sisters or anything? Or Yep, so I have two brothers. Um, I'm the oldest, so I have one that's three years younger and then uh, a brother that's 10 years younger, and then my sister's 14 years younger than me. Okay. Yep, and we all live within like three miles of each other. Nice. Yeah, you're, uh, you can see everybody, or your dad can see everybody from where yeah, he's at. my dad can see everybody from his deck, and he says, it's nice to be able to see all my kids from the deck, but the neighbors are terrible. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like something my dad would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't... With a chuckle. He I don't, says it with a chuckle, at least, so... Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, no, I only live a quarter mile from my parents, so, yeah, we're kind of got a road here, um... It's a two-mile road, and it starts with my dad, and there's another neighbor, and then me, and then another neighbor, and another neighbor, and then my the heritage farm, or it used to be a century farm. Now it's it's going to be a heritage. I th- heritage is 125 years, I think. I might be saying that wrong. It might be 150. Okay, anyway. That was going to be my question because I didn't know what a heritage farm was, to be honest. Yeah, well, it's the next step. So 1882 was the 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 first year of that establishment oh. settlement. I don't know what you'd want to call it, but yeah. Nice. If you look it up on so, go ahead. I was just gonna say if you look it up, you can go to Century or Iowa Century Farms or whatever, and you can look up see when your farm was first reported or yeah. Okay. So very cool. I didn't know that. So yep. I'll have to go look. Yeah. So other than us just being two guys sitting here talking about farming. Yeah, it's pretty boring right now. Right now. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, but uh, how about you tell us about uh, your farming operation? Yeah, so I farm with my dad. He'll be 80 next year. I guess I didn't say I got three older sisters. I'm backwards oh, to fine. you. You're the oldest one. Yep. And I'm the youngest. So my oldest sister's 16 years older than me, and then it's – uh, six years apart, four years apart, and yeah, and me. So, yeah, I'm the only only son. Brother-in-laws don't farm. Good farming operation, like I said, me and my dad. Uh, he's pretty well retired, but you know how farmers are. They never actually retire, so yeah. he's still got his hand in it, which is great because I appreciate his help. I need all the help I can get because it's just me and him, and then I hire part-time help in the fall to drive truck or run combine, but... Yeah, we might have, uh, might be overboard on some equipment as far as like our sprayer and stuff goes, but you can get it done quickly when you're just one guy, you know, because I'd have to 
drop off the tanker at a farm and then get a ride back and then take the sprayer and whatever. But it's nice because seem to be sectioned out where um, I'll have, you know, quite a few acres in one area so you can kind of park and get that day done or half a day done there and then move and do another half a day. And then most of our acres are right around the home farm, so I'll just fill up the sprayer and drive back and forth from there or whatever. Yeah, it's a lot of road time and a few more hours on the equipment, but it works. I like it. It's what you got to do when you work by yourself. Absolutely. And great equipment, too, because it's all Case IH. (laughs) Yeah, well, I I can appreciate that for sure. Yeah, I think that's something that we need to look forward into the future for uh, its own episode is, you know, the struggles of doing stuff by yourself or having just part-time help. Absolutely. We'll talk about that. So Absolutely. You should write that down. I'm, I'm writing <laughs> it down right now. Andrew is the co-host, but I don't know. He's still, there we're all hosts, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we're we'll still learning, right? Yeah, we'll have guests on here that they'll probably be hosting the show, and we'll be answering the questions. Who knows? We just want to, we want to keep it lively. Definitely want to have fun. Yes. Um, that's why we want good, clean comments, good uh, ideas for episodes. Comment in if you want to be a guest. We're looking for guests. We have a few of them uh, lined up now. Not, we're not going to mention any names yet, but we'll be having some guests with different topics, and we're excited about them. And um, Yeah, if you want to be a guest, let us know, and, yeah, we'll go from there. We're happy. Love to have you on. Love to have you on. So. Yeah, perfect. So back to – sorry, since I jumped ahead, we got off family and a little bit of equipment. So tell me about your farming operation you – what kind of crops are you growing? Mostly cotton and wheat and some <laughs> barley. <laughs> no, I'm just being a dumbass. Uh, corn and soybeans, just like everybody else in Iowa, you know. But, no, it's not a dumb question because I know you only grow corn, so it's a good question. But, yeah, we have corn and soybeans. We used to have cattle. We don't anymore. Yeah. When my grandpa was around, we had them. And I'd love to get in the cattle business again, and I wanted to a couple years ago. I was going to go all out. I was like, I was going to put up a monoslope and just asking all sorts of questions to different producers in the area, what they do, what I could do maybe to purchase some of their old equipment or work with them to, you know, to get a good start. Uh, I'm glad I didn't now. (laughs) Ended up buying a farm and then, you know, how luckily I bought that before interest rates have gone where they're at. But no, I'm kind of okay with not having cattle right now but would still like to do that someday so you got livestock i have no livestock i don't uh growing up we had a lot of hogs and uh and some cattle dad always had cattle um which was nice but uh if i never have to raise hogs again it would be too soon yeah I, i wasn't a big fan of hogs i mean i we got grandpa got out last in the in the late 1998-99 range and that was the last hogs we had around and I think I don't want to speak for everybody else but I was sure happy when that happened I think <laughs> and everybody else was too but yeah yeah I we love the hog manure personally but. yes well and that's why I wanted the the cattle and I was going to do the whole stockpile deal I mean there's some nice 
some good companies out there that have really good ideas for monoslope buildings and where you can store the manure so you can only, you know, if you just want to spread it in the late fall, early winter, whatever. I mean, I no-till and strip-till, so compaction is an issue for me, and I'm not going to go out and spread manure after I make strips. So a lot of the no-till going to beans ground would probably be where I'd focus a lot of the manure. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, we used to have hogs growing up. I took them to fair and stuff when I was in FFA. Just feeders, though. Um, My dad used to farrow to finish before i'm i don't even know if i was born when he was still doing it to be honest with you he had a little confine a little confinement set up in a barn where we lived and um he did that to make ends meet did what he had to do and and that's kind of the way it was with my grandpa and dad and uncles you know that that hog was a as another source income every year yeah everybody had it wasn't yeah how long ago was it when all of a sudden they made a big deal about um, was there permits or licensing? I was pretty, I was in high school when all that kind of went down that they're like, Oh, if you, you have to go to classes or something to be able to spread the manure. And I mean, there was all these regulations. I don't know if they actually went through or not, but I know that's a, how a lot of the, conf, the confinement buildings got started because they're like, well, we're not just going to raise a hundred pigs in our barn anymore. You know, we have to raise 1200 because we're going to make it worth our time with all these regulations and everything. So maybe that'll be a topic we can talk about someday. <laughs> maybe someone yeah, wants maybe. to. Maybe I don't remember any of that part. I'm sure there was regulations coming at the time. I just remember you needed to get more efficient at, you know, your cost wise on feeding more for less is, you know, and that's kind of what drove a lot, uh, you know, a lot of people out. If you didn't have a lot, you, didn't have enough margin in every hog to really make any money. Right. And I, I can remember the, the co-op coming out, the local elevator. And I think Land Lakes was doing a big push on buildings. And, and of course we didn't, we didn't want them. I mean, we just got out of hogs. We didn't want more of the stinking dang things. Everybody mm-hmm. was liking not doing chores and just being yeah. a grain farmer. And so it, my, my dad didn't want to mess with them anymore. And I was too young to, um, to financially put up my own building, but gosh, had I been in my early twenties and done that, there there was good money in that. There's a lot of there's a, a neighbor close by that still has their original building up. I know they've remodeled it for sure once, maybe twice by now, but they took such good care of it and I mean they still feeding out for people. I mean they're <laughs> they've done very well for themselves and put up more buildings since then. So yeah. yeah, I can appreciate the hog producer and cattle producer. I love beef and I love pork. So yeah, <laughs> as long as they stay in business, I mean, great food to eat. So yeah, and you know, you talk about how you appreciate them. Well, you appreciate the work they have to put into it because if they don't have hired labor, they're there yeah. all the time. I mean, that was how we didn't vacation when I was growing up. I mean, we had a confinement building for cattle, which was pretty pretty new back in the day so this was the late 70s my uh, grandpa built it held held 160 head of feeders and there was four pens of 40 which we found out in time that 40 head was too many they they were too crowded so we I think we took it down to like 34 35 which was enough to you know that they were better on on gain rate of gain but they would back feed them in a lot right next door and uh, we'd get them at like 400, 450 pound. 
and then feed them up to 800, 850, and then you could bring them in the confinement. Well, the reason they had to be that weight in the confinement building was because their their feet would or their hooves would go bad. You know, they'd get hoof rot or because they were always standing on this con- on these concrete slats. So that was that was a big deal, and that's why you had to get them bigger. And then back then, you only, I mean, if you sold a 1,200 pound steer, Grandpa was like, "Oh shit, we fed him too much." But now they're 1450, 15. I mean, there's guys feeding them all the way out, and we we never did that back in the day. It's crazy how things have changed, and maybe we were doing it wrong. I don't know. I mean, my my grandpa wasn't building more buildings i i think he was doing fine with what he was doing but it's not like he was becoming a millionaire feeding cattle so right but, yep no i think you're right and it's i've noticed that too the last time we had uh, a, a beef processed i think the live weight was like 1700 pounds i'm like gee christmas oh my god one that big but it was a big calf holy a lot of shit i had no sure idea delicious yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> did you go to school? Well, uh, yeah, I did go to school. I went to Valeska High School. That's where I graduated high school in southwest Iowa. So that's where I still live near there. And, yeah, I went to Kirkwood, good old Kirkwood Community College in Cedar Rapids. Those are uh, great times, to be honest with you. I had a great time at Kirkwood. Um, I was going to go there for the first semester to transfer to Iowa State. And just try to take some general classes, you know, to get transferred to Iowa State. After that first semester, I'm like, I don't know that I want to do four more years of this. <laughs> and so yeah. I ended up doing uh, ag business. And as I was there, after that second semester, so then in my first year, they were building a brand new GPS GIS lab. And it's supposed to be state-of-the-art in the country at the time, like one of the nicest ones in the country. And so then they had that built for my second year. And then I did two years through that program. Oh, nice. So you timed, yeah, timed, I, timed I, that I out. Well, for sure. yeah, good timing. What about you? Did you go to school at all? Yeah. I went to RRMR, Rudd Rockford, Marble Rock community school. Yeah. You were an initial school, huh? Yeah. 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 We had a bunch of them around us. NSRF, SCMT, yeah, I don't know. There was more. There was a lot back then, and they kept yeah. getting more. And then they started yeah. naming them after the county they were in or whatever, which that was obviously smart because everybody's consolidating. But we're still stuck out all by ourselves. I mean, it. <laughs> we don't have any kid. Amy and I don't have any kids, so we don't um, have any kids going there. But, yeah, it's still school. It's still kicking. They don't have the best sports programs because they have low um, – numbers for students yeah. i think when i graduated there's 48 i'm yeah. 36 in my class so similar sizes yeah definitely we had a really shitty football team forever so did we <laughs> <laughs> the graduate we the graduating class of 81 which was the year i was born was the last winning team that we had had until i was a senior in high school so in 18 years that had been losing seasons, we went, they were, they were like eight and one or nine and all. I mean, they were really good. And then it just went to shit from there. And uh, we ended up being five and four. We could have easily been six and three. We played a lot. Of, we, well, we could have been three and six too. I mean, we played a lot of close 
uh, tight games. Almost like every one of our games was, it was always raining, especially at home. Our field at the end of the year was complete trash. I'm not kidding. They actually redid it that next summer. They had to redo the field. It was so trash from all the mud. And of course, then it was beautiful. They put a nice crown on it and I even I think they even put some tile into it. I mean, they really did a great job with it, but it was complete dog shit when we played there. It was horrible. It was, yeah. and I hate getting dirty. I don't mind grass stains and cuts and blood and bruises and stuff, but I hate getting muddy and being wet during a game. Oh, it was miserable, and it's always cold and wet. It's like forty-five degrees and rain. It's not seventy-five. It's horrible. Right. Yeah. I never played I didn't play football in high school. So um I was really, really small in high school. I didn't start growing until like I was a junior. Really? Oh yeah. I was the smallest kid in my class, like through my sophomore year. I was hmm. five when I was a freshman, I was five two and weighed eighty pounds. Really? Yeah, dead serious. Wow. <clears throat> yep. So my daughter that is ten is bigger than I was as a freshman. Holy cow. So yeah. not, not behind, you know, the growth curve like I was. I mean, I caught up, you know, but yeah, it was way later. I wish I would have been in the year behind me. I was, you know. No, I was, when I was an eighth grader, I was six foot tall. And when I was a freshman, I was 165. I think I was 145 when I was an eighth grader. And then I was 165 when I was a freshman, but I never grew after that. That was six foot. I was done. I'm still that height. And then every year I gained 10 pounds. So when I graduated, I was a <laughs> six foot, 195 pounds. So a little bit heavier now. <laughs> a few years ago, I was right back to my high school weight because I used to work out all the time. But ever since COVID, I kind of gave up on that and learned how to make old fashions. And that's my new pastime. So hated high school. Yeah, me too. Only like sports. Uh- <laughs> yeah, I love sports. Love basketball. Love baseball. But yeah, I I think I graduated at six three, one hundred and sixty five pounds. Oh, so I I mean that last year it was like finally grew, but I wasn't. I was so awkward because I hadn't been t- you know growing yeah. out of my body very long. Yeah, so. I'm still awkward. Yeah, me too. At least when I look at myself run or do something, I think it's awkward. Most people were probably used to seeing me as I grew up in my awkwardness and just thought it was normal. But, you know, when you watch, I'd watch game tapes of myself playing football or basketball or something. I'm like, God, that that's funny looking. You don't know how to run, Rick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, don't, I don't run unless something bad's happening right now. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. <laughs> that's about the only time. <laughs> hate running. Yeah. When I worked out, it was just lifting weights and not much running involved. You know, a, a stationary bike a rower circuit training type stuff to you know but no run yeah no once in a while you had to run but because I, I did that whole crossfit thing i was in that cult for a while and yeah kind of got burned out from that i'm finally starting to uh recuperate some of my joints and everything they were getting so tore up my wrists and wrists and elbows were the worst my knees actually got better because my legs got stronger and then, of course, yeah, my back went to shit, too. So a lot of it yeah. was not knowing how to lift. And then once you learned, it was already too late. Oh, well. oh we've kind of gotten off topic. No. Oh. The farm sense. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I like talking about other things. 
We both are that way, though. We yeah. just kind of continue the conversation. That's why our conversations are never real short. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I, we talked about school, so yeah, I guess yeah. that did go a little longer than what I thought. But <laughs> sports are always yeah. good to talk about. They are. Yeah. I agree. I love talking sports, and yeah, we've talked about that before. And you know, radio, listening to stuff on the different things on the radio and local sports and stuff like that too. But yeah. Um, so we, we talked about how we met at the Strip Till Conference. We're both part of Total Laker. Yes. What's Total Laker? Do you want to talk about kind of what that is? Yeah, I'm starting my fourth year. Total Laker was started by Randy Dowdy, and then he had Dave Hula join him. Um, of course, anybody listening to this probably knows who Randy Dowdy and David Hula are. David just broke the record again for highest corn yield, irrigated. But still, nonetheless... If I had an irrigator, I wouldn't be growing 623 bushel corn or whatever it is. But I'd, I'd want to be, it'd probably be 590, but not 623. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm completely joking. I'm, I'm a jokester. You'll learn that. But anyway, yeah, so Total Acre is just a kind of a big community or group of farmers that get together a few times a year and get to talk about challenges and non-challenges, things that work, things that don't work, uh, the best thing about it i think is the the yms computer program or software that we have where we can share all our information and data and and there's no names it's just strictly farm numbers and area. i mean you know uh, if it's in iowa or whatever or K- kentucky or ohio but i mean there's you don't have to give out information or your name if you don't want to but you're still sharing and you know that going into it so and a lot of the guys you know you've heard that themselves they'll give the farm number out and especially if they had like yourself but you know you had 306 bushel field average and I'm sure you're willing to give out your farm number so people can see what you did and that's the best part about it is people are sharing information you know in my area it's it's different I I don't like it. I mean, I, I like people. I just don't like how they don't open up and share information. You know, I don't want to know how much rent or what their rent is that they're paying or how much they paid for a farm. I don't, I don't care about shit like that, but I don't even have to know how much fertilizer they put on, but when did you put it on? What did you see that was beneficial? You know, um, ask me questions. I love to talk about farming. Give me a call, leave a comment on here, anonymous, whatever, just ask questions. That's what it's all about. And that's what we do at these conferences. I mean, we just sit and talk to people and we learn, right? Yep. It's all like-minded people in my, in my mind. And I think it makes it easier, you know, as you and I have talked about before is, you know, we're far enough apart, you know, we're clear across the state apart. Mm -hmm. It's easier to share with people like that because they're not directly competing with you. Right. I understand. And, you know, with people close to you. And I, I mean, I share with people and I'm happy to share with what I'm doing and I want to know what they're doing. Cause there's pro- everybody does a good job for the most part anymore, mm-hmm. you know, so you can learn something from everybody of what works on theirs. So if you're tweaking something in your operation or you pick up a different farm or whatever, you might be able to use some of that information to help you. You know, like you said earlier, I don't grow beans. So that's why I use you all the time to ask you what you're doing on your bean crop. So whenever I do plant those beans, I'm not looking forward to, um, I'll know how to do it really well. And that's how it is. I mean, it's awesome for everybody. It's just a great, big, huge encyclopedia. (laughs) You're exactly right. And I've only been in the group for one year. 
it's been really interesting. I went to Arizona last winter. That's the first time we really hung out again since the strip tail conference that summer. We talked a little bit in between and then we got down there and, you know, went through the conference and stuff and they just kind of kept sharing ideas back and forth between the two of us and got to be better friends and just continued regular, pretty much regular conversations through this entire growing season. Yeah. Yeah. I called you up a few times thought I was going to be bragging about my yields and you probably thought I was going to be bragging too, but you found some good surprises out there. So, <laughs> yeah, I really thought you were going to beat me because your stuff looks so much better at my, than mine when I was up at your place there in, was it June, end of June, middle of June? Yeah. Every, every, honestly, everything looked perfect. I was pouring the coals to it. Is that the right terminology? Yes, that's what I would say. <laughs> I, I, was, I wasn't slowing down with anything and now I regret some of it because I probably spent Oh, probably $50, $60 an acre more than what I needed to. But I still had trials where I know that those products still paid, even though the field might have only averaged, you know, 220 or had one field only go 206. But there were still spots out there that were 300 bushel. Actually, that's where I got my, my 290. It was in a field that averaged 206 because I'd say a good – 40% of that farm needs an irrigator. It's got lime rock underneath, probably three feet. You know, there's no bottom to it. It's got looks beautiful on top, but there's nothing to hold water underneath. That's what's sad. So all those things come into play, and weather was definitely our biggest factor. Heat. Heat really hurt us this year. Yeah. And for us, I would say it was that heat late in August. That's what just fried my crop. I mean, you came down and saw me in August, and I kind of, we did a tour around to my farms and it was hot enough that we didn't want to get out of the pickup. It no. was a 128 heat index and you're like, God, this crop down here looks like crap. Yeah, it did. Especially across the road from where you lived. I was yeah. really like, wow. And, and then you were pointing out that you weren't far from it. I mean, that was like your field over there. I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. This does look pretty nasty. And ours still... Ours was still hanging in there. I mean, I think we talked about it. I didn't have any leaf drop on my lower canopy until like those last two. And don't ask me about dates and temperatures and stuff. I'm horrible with that. I mean, we got neighbors that know what the temperature was last year on my birthday, you know. But anyway, the last heat snap we had where it was in the hundreds or whatever, it was like the last two days of that my lower canopy, those leaves finally drooped and dropped. And I was like, Oh, that's a problem. (laughs) It it didn't, it didn't look good after that. So, and it it didn't turn out very good either in those spots. The only reason I remember the temperature and stuff is because I saw it on my memories on like Snapchat or something of the 130 heat index. Gotcha. That day. And I'm like, well, that's when everything was completely rolled up and gray and mm-hmm. the end, basically. Yeah. Our beans, we keep talking about corn and a cor- well, because you don't have beans, but beans were the same. They still looked good. And it was a couple days, those last few hot days, and they finally took a shit as well because I was being really optimistic. I had gone out and sprayed uh, foliar products in the early mornings or late evenings ahead of, you know, cause we knew they were predicting the heat coming. So 
let's say it was coming on a Wednesday. I was out there Sunday night or Monday morning and trying to get acres covered, but you know, I was spraying like potassium acetate on corn and beans. I was spraying, um, fungicide trying to help cool the canopy insecticide to get the bugs out of there so they wouldn't be sucking anything up that you know i needed that was beneficial uh fulvix all sorts of stuff i'm not i'm not even going to name them all because you're not asking the right question (laughs) exactly you know we've heard that a million times ask me the right question i'll give you the answer but i'm not going to spill all the beans so like like yourself, you know, before that heat, I did have a friend of mine that had a drone, and I had him come spray some fungicide in three different blocks just to see if there was an advantage, you know, with that late fungicide application. Um, it would have been a second pass of application for my program, but just to try to calm that plant down and maybe reduce some heat and keep it as healthy as long as possible. I did not see any yield response from that. So that was a wasted $26 or whatever it was. Okay. Yeah. Pioneer, uh, my pioneer rep, Justin Abel, he had uh, me do a, a trial or a test plot west of my dad's and it wasn't nothing real big, but I had, I think eight different numbers out there, newer numbers, whatever. And, and he wanted, uh, he wanted to see what my, what I do versus what they recommended. And of course I do another pass or two. I think it was only one pass actually, but huge, huge difference. It was, it was, yeah, that extra pass of fungicide at V10. Um, and then spraying with my drone. I think I, I don't have a Haggy. I have a case IH sprayer. So, I'm limited at chest high corn. This is as late as I'll go out there, you know, 800 GDU, whatever, 800, 900. Spraying with the drone, I, I know I got better coverage than a helicopter, not because I have a bad helicopter applicator, because they do very good. They do, and I've always thought that, but I get smaller droplets. Theirs are bigger. I get more leaf coverage you know they don't get as many drops on on the leaves so i i know that definitely has a benefit so i I love my drone i wish i had about five or six of them so i could get more done because i did 100 acres one day and holy shit that was that's a workout it was just me and my dad and i know this can be another episode too but i got i built a platform on top of my trailer so i could stand up high so i could see the drone the whole time and the two steps up to the trailer and then the five steps up to the platform and then five steps down and another two steps down and do that 40, 40, 50 times a day. It wasn't my legs that hurt. It was my, my feet. I had such bad plantar fasciitis just from walking up and down steps. It was, it was crazy. I couldn't walk for like a week afterwards. It was, it was stupid, but, but I need somebody that, can be safe while filling the drone and I can just stay up top. That would actually yep. speed things up a lot. Cause I mean, you're doing it, you're getting down and filling every like seven minutes, you know, that's so, what I was going to ask you the flight time. I was guessing somewhere in that seven to 10 minutes, probably. Yeah. By the time it takes off and comes back after it sprays. Yep. Yeah. But yep. yeah, we can talk about that some other time though. I don't want to ruin all or not have 
any more episodes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now I did something for the first time we were talking about fungicide here. Um, yeah. So I have a friend of mine that has a hay. And so I talked him into spraying, you know, some of my bottoms that's easy going mm-hmm. and comparing it to through an airplane. Yep. Right. Same airplane or type. sorry, airplane, airplane. or drone. Okay. Air, no airplane. drone. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, no drone on that. Uh, you know, after ta- right after tassel passed, it was either a plane or this Hagee. Okay. And so, you know, I've got some fields that got terraces on it. And so there was a, a bottom next to some terrace. So the airplane did right next, you know, some of the bottom and the terrace, and then he did the bottom, excuse me, with the, uh, Hagee. And there's eight bushel difference. And I think it all came down to coverage because he was mm-hmm. doing like 27 gallon to the acre at 80 pounds pressure oh, versus what, three and a half, four through a plane. Yeah. And I kind of, I'm not big on gallons. I'm not saying you did it wrong. You obviously saw a difference, but I'm fine with 10 gallons at 80, 90, 100 pounds of pressure. I mean, I've heard a lot of things about you want to see a fog behind you. You want small droplets. You want, you know, more coverage. You're getting more coverage, you think, with more water, but then your droplets, you know, they're they're less um, concentrated as well. So, I mean, that would be another good thing to try. Maybe have them come out next year and and try different gallons. Have them do a 10 – Gosh, you'd have to do at least five gallon different, wouldn't you? I could do I would it. think you do like a ten and a twenty seven, just see if there's a difference. Yeah, because I know they've said that you want a smaller droplet, you know, with the fungicide. But I was putting in some foliar stuff too. Okay. And so I think you want maybe a little bit more gallon gallonage. I guess is the, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's right yep. for that to get it into the plant. I don't know. First year doing it. I saw great results from it and I'm looking forward to doing some more trials next year. So, yeah, no, and that's why we're in total acre for this question we have right here. And that's why we have this podcast. Someone might know something comment. I guarantee there's smart people out there that know exactly what we're talking about a thousand times more than what we do. Yeah. And they can come on and tell us about it and teach us, you know, we're just, I'm trying to learn. You're trying to learn. And yep. Leave a comment, share it get more people on here answering questions so we so we know what we're talking about and there's probably somebody out there with a podcast that's talked about it and you know maybe that person would like to come on and you know advertise their podcast and get names out there i know i listen to a lot of different podcasts so and i would i would talk on somebody else's i don't know why they'd want me to but (laughs) just saying i'm just putting it out there i could use some advertising (laughs) <laughs> why yeah. why do we have this podcast well i think it's because we want to talk about different things and try to find like-minded people that want to share their wealth and knowledge and what works on their farms and maybe we can all learn together it's kind of you know yeah. just like the total acre and you know we have an nda through total acre we can't give out everything no yeah that we do there no that's uh, for sure yeah no we don't want to we don't want to, and we're not going to, we haven't. Right. I mean, no, nope. We just kind of talk about what we're doing on our farm, but there's a lot of smart people in this world. And I, I'm, I'm under the 
firm belief that I'm the biggest limiting factor in my operation. And if I surround myself with really smart people, I can maybe be successful. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that talk about having peer groups. You know, I'm sure you've heard of, heard of that. And, uh, and we can get into what you do other than, you know, you don't just farm, you also have another career, but, um, that your career, your type, I would want you in my peer group because you can do investments, correct? Correct. Yep. So, um, let's see, this is year four or five, four. Um, I, after school, after college, I went and worked for NRCS, USDA. So I did a lot of soil conservation technician engineering work uh, for 11 years. That's how I met Carla and because uh, she works for NRCS. Um, but I worked with a lady that's husband ran his uh, financial advisor business. So they recruited me away from the government and, you know, they said, hey, if you go do all your testing and everything, we'll will help you get started and you can have flexibility to farm. I said, well, that sounds great. And after about three years, I decided that the only person that makes money in that deal is the one that owns the business. (laughs) So I decided that it was time to just start my own. And of course I had a, 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 what was it? A two year non-compete. So I didn't advertise or anything, but I had people that, that moved to me. They called me out of the blue and stuff. And so then I started my own firm and I've started, had my own firm here for four years. And, um, so when we started talking about markets and stuff like that, I try to, I will probably back away from those conversations because of all the regulatory stuff that goes along with being a financial advisor that I really can't talk about. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, and, and, you know, back to the, the the peer group, you know, a lot of times they'll have financial advisors, they'll have a banker, they'll have a, maybe an insurance agent, and just farmers like ourselves from different parts of the U.S. or state or whatever it might be. I mean, especially now with Zoom and all this stuff, I mean, you can get together with anybody any time of the day and have a meeting. But um, so, yeah, though, that peer group thing, I that be a good episode too. get somebody on here that maybe um, hosts a peer group or is in one that wants to talk about it or, and you know, cause I mean, I don't know. I'd like to know about your peer, peer, peer group, peer group. Man, I'm having a hard time talking. I need an old fashioned to calm down. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you know, I call it my team is the way I look at it. You know, I have my seed dealers, my agronomists, but people like you that are other farmers pushing the envelope. And that's, why I kind of, I don't know, was interested in what you were doing when we first met because you were strip tilling already. I had just bought a strip till machine. Nobody around me really strip tills. So I was looking for people that were trying to push yield through strip till. And that's where we kind of started our conversations, I think. Yeah, we did because you were you were new into it and I had been doing it. I can't remember. I could sit down and figure out exactly. I know the first year I did it, I just used an anhydrous applicator. We happened to have um, our, we had an old DMI applicator and it was an even road applicator. It was almost like it was made to do strip till. So it was a 14 knife. We made it into a 16. We just added on an extra wing so it matched our 
our planner. It was kind of my idea because it was one of those springs where it was 2018. Like I said, I don't remember dates and weather very well, but it was a wet spring and it was a bad fall the year before. We didn't get the anhydrous on, so I wanted to make sure that we weren't leaving a ton of tracks, making a lot of mud out in the field. We even had uh, the co-op put 32 on for us, which we had never done before. I mean, so we did a lot of different things to help speed things up. Well, one of the things I wanted to do was go out and just make a strip plan into it without field cultivating the whole field and making a smear layer with a field cultivator. It'll, It'll do that. That's another episode. (laughs) <laughs> but make a note of that, Andrew. You're the note taker. But okay. anyway, so that was kind of the first strip tilling we did. I did like 40 acres. No, we did a 40 and a short 80 and just made the strips. Uh, one of them was without anhydrous. So I was just out there with a bar and everybody's like, hey, you forgot your tank. I'm like, no, I'm just making strips, whatever. And the other one, we actually put the anhydrous on. Well, both fields did really well. It was still kind of a crappy year, I remember, but overall, but did really well. So I liked the idea of it. So the next year, used that same anhydrous applicator and was just doing anhydrous, made what it call strips. And, you know, we had some people in our operation that still wanted to field cultivate. So we let them field cultivate their fields. And But all the fields that I was in charge of or was mine I just made the strips and planted. Well, we didn't see any difference at all. So I was like, you know, let's do this. Let's go further with it. And so I found an old Case IH 5310, which is a glorified anhydrous applicator. Just the only difference is it has rolling baskets on the back. I mean, really. And it has row cleaners, but sometimes I use them, sometimes I don't. But uh, anyway, so, yeah, I run that. It's a 16 knife, so I still apply anhydrous. I want to get away from it, but... I haven't figured out how because I, I like doing my strips in the fall since I am kind of a one-and-a-half-man operation with just me and my dad. I mean, I run all the equipment because he has bad eyesight. Otherwise, he'd be doing more. But So when I'm planting, that's us- or when you're strip tilling, you can usually be planting. You know how the weather is in the spring. That's why I like to get the strips done in the fall. I'm not going to put 32% on in the fall. So then I use the anhydrous, which... Okay, leave all your comments about all the anhydrous haters. That's fine. I get it. I'm, like I said, I'd like to move too, but some move to all 32% because I run all liquid fertilizer. I have anhydrous and then I have all liquid. I know the the availability of liquid and the the less time it takes to break down than a little rock you're spreading out in the field or putting in your strip. So the timing thing, the workload, I do what I have to do. So we started doing liquid with the anhydrous in the fall and seen I've they told me it would take five years before I would get my yields back up to where they were well I must have been a really shitty farmer before because they've never gone down <laughs> they just keep going up last year yeah. or this last season they were down a little bit because of the lack of rain but every year through there they just keep getting better and then joining total acre I find new things to put in the strip and what things work, what things don't, and working with liquid, it's easier, sometimes easier to do. You know, you just pour in a jug or whatever and go do a trial. But um, you do you do all dry, correct? Correct. So uh, that was going to be my question because so yours is a glorified anhydrous applicator is what you call it, right? Yeah. So I mo- it's a shake machine. Yeah, and I modified it. So my it. question to you is 
do you ever worry about air pockets? But I suppose I, if it happens in the fall, you don't have to worry about it. No, but they're out there. I mean, I know they're there, but I run hellish down pressure on my planter. <laughs> okay. Um, I run my row cleaners. So this last year, I needed to supplement dry fertilizer. So I had the co-op spread dry, and I took my row cleaners off on the strip-till applicator because I didn't want to throw that fertilizer out of my strip and into the middle of the rows where it's not going to do you any good. So I took them off so I could make sure I could capture and bring in, and I, I didn't have any blowout or anything. I mean, I was my discs, I set them right and went to the right speed where keeping that dry fertilizer, 30% of it or whatever, in that strip, and it was mixing very well. I got out back and looked, and it was mixed four to six inches down, the little granules of potash. Yeah. And uh, the rolling basket on the back is just, that's what it is, a rolling basket. It's the not a round bar. It's a flat bar. It's curved, so it still leaves a hump. But I would love to have a wheel back there to actually press and get rid of that. For one, I don't like the high humps all winter because – if it doesn't snow or if it does and you haven't had like some ice or something to hold your soil down, you get a windstorm and it looks like you plowed the whole field still because there's dirt in the ditch. Hate it. Those wheels to put on the back, you can get them through Unverfirth and they're way more money than I have right now to spend. But that's my goal. I, I want to get that trench flattened out so it doesn't blow. I want to get rid of those air pockets so I don't have to run so much roll cleaner on my planter. And I don't have to run so much down pressure because that's what I worry about is my planning yep. depth. So, yep. And I, and like you said, I do dry and mine's a Coulter machine. So my strip ends up about eight inches wide, about six inches deep. And yeah. it's all dry fertilizer mixed through the whole profile. Um, last year, so in 2023, in the fall of 2022, was the first year strip telling for me. And I don't just, most of the time, I don't just jump into something. Like strip till, I'd been looking for a machine for probably three to four years before that. And I finally found one, got it bought. That was an ordeal. That's for another podcast mm-hmm. uh, episode. <laughs> uh, Write that down. I went up. Huh? <laughs> Write that down. down. <laughs> <Yep>. Sorry. <laughs> that, that's all right. Uh, so I was going out there, and I'm all corn on corn. So I got my in between the old rows and got it all set up. And I did a complete blend. I didn't variable rate first year. All my fertility was pretty good anyway, because I had just soil sampled the year before and made all the applications variable rate to try to get it to where it needed to be pretty aggressive through Midwest labs recommendation, I guess is what I would say. So I just did a blend with ESN my PK, zinc, boron, everything, and went out in the fall and did it. And it was super nice to be done in the spring. Yes. I did leave half of one farm and half of another farm to compare spring applied strips versus fall applied strips. Mm-hmm. Now, there really wasn't any yield difference. I probably could have just done it all in the fall. This year, of course, I like to make things more difficult and try things because I think I can make it better. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to become more nitrogen efficient. So I'm trying to get my nitrogen per bushel down 
Um, I'm probably in that one to one, one range right now, one pound of nitrogen to one bushel, maybe 0.9 some places in, in on the better ground that got better rain this year. Yep. But I'm really trying to get that nitrogen per bushel down. So I put my P and K down in the fall and then in the spring, I'll come back with, uh, I, don't, I haven't figured out my mix. If it's going to be 50% ESN, 50% urea with my zinc, sulfur, and boron, or what, for sure, what that 50, 50, 60, 40, whatever that ratio will be, just to make it so some's available early, some's available late, and hopefully lower my overall nitrogen costs per, per bushel, per acre. Yeah. So there's a million questions I was going to ask you from that whole statement you just said, but that's another podcast. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, don't be sorry. Yeah, you said it great, but I'm just saying we can go down another rabbit hole for another hour if you want, just talking about um, what you're putting in your strip, what I put in the strip, and, you know, whatever. But, hey, maybe we'll get some comments. Maybe we'll get some people out there that strip till that want to be on the, the podcast with us because, hey, we're looking – we're just looking to talk to farmers and have a good time, right? I mean, exactly. I what, totally agree. That's what we like to do. Something. Yeah, yeah. We want to learn. We want you to learn. We want to make mistakes because that's the best way I learn. I hate yeah. saying that, but I always say if I don't, if if I never made a mistake in my life, I wouldn't know a fucking thing because every mistake I've made, I've learned something. So, got to make yep. mistakes out there, but maybe we can lessen a few of those mistakes by hearing them from other farmers first and getting some comments and some uh some different guests on here so we don't have to just look at each other and talk to each other and <laughs> kind of go from there so nothing too crazy and don't be afraid of being on here i can edit it i don't <laughs> like to <laughs> yeah, that's, I've that's learned, a more cumbersome deal than a person thinks, it's, isn't it? It's a little more than what you think, and I'm not going to pay someone $200 to edit a yeah. podcast for me because I'm not making any money doing this. I already spent a whole bunch just to record the podcast. So, yeah, that's yeah. how that goes. But anyway, do you got anything else to add, Andrew? I don't I don't think so. I'm excited for the future of this podcast to, to talk to like-minded people that are way smarter than me and – and learn a bunch. That's what I'm here and have a good time and maybe have an old fashioned next time we talk. Yeah. I think there's people out there that are going to listen to this and they might get bored once in a while, but I think there's other guys excited to listen to this podcast and learn things and get on here. We'll we'll talk to you. We don't even have to see your face. I mean, we're going to have little video clips here and there on TikTok or whatever with our podcast but no we're strictly going to be broadcasted uh, sound only so you can listen to it in the cab of your tractor or driving your truck hauling grain or whatever you might be doing so um, yeah if Andrew doesn't have anything else and I don't have anything else I guess I guess I guess that's it so thank um, you Rick and look forward to the next one yeah absolutely have a good one thank you Andrew we'll see you next time you too thanks 